electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. After last week's dalliance with the bulls, so many strategists want to pretend that it didn't happen. And nothing mattered. Nothing changed. As they see it, last week was nothing more than a short covering rally, a temporary snapback in a bear market rally, a sucker's rally. That's what they see on a day where the Dow advances 35 points. S&P edged up 0.18%. NASDAQ gained 0.3%. Of course, I see consolidation. I dispute that bearish verdict. Although I simply can't dismiss the best week of the year, where major strides were made in broadening the rally to everything from the financials to recent e-commerce stocks to the usual semiconductor and semiconductor equipment suspects. I am not going to throw cold water on those who thought the reversal in the bond market that lowered long-term yields dramatically was just a minor incident, okay? I mean, it was big. Until last week, I was convinced the 30-year was headed for 6%. That's much harder to believe now. The guys who... Think it didn't matter? I'd just like to dump cold water on them. These were hard-fought victories for the bulls, people. They weren't supposed to happen. They came at a time when the stock market was oversold and the gloom was palpable. But that's true of most enormous rallies. That's how they start. The gains are now being consolidated, even as there were plenty of people who has always wanted to ring the register and park this money in CDs. Profits are being taken because there's been so much hardship since late July when Fed Chief Jay Powell took the possibility of recession off the table, which meant the Fed had more leeway to keep raising interest rates. Long-term interest rates, of course, then soared. But then they stopped when Powell spoke last week because while he wasn't as sanguine, he did seem hopeful that since we put together a couple of months of inflation trending lower, there could be more good months ahead. Instead of predicting a December-January rate hike like so many people who dismissed last week's action as aberrant, hey, maybe we should just say that the softer data continues, there'll be no more rate hikes. Of course, if any major component of inflation accelerates, including real estate prices, then I think the Fed will tighten again. Powell's not out of the equation, but the data does the talking here going forward. Just as important, the Treasury Department's decision announced last week that I harped on that no one else did, frankly, to rely on shorter-term debt for the bulk of the government's refinancing in 2024, that gave the bond bears a slim read of hope to hang on to. See, shorting long-term bonds was a great trade, but it had gotten crowded, and crowded trades are vulnerable. It's amazing that next year's Treasury auction schedule could stop the big short in its tracks, but short sellers were growing quite wary that there might not be enough treasuries for all of them to cover without moving prices up substantially. I kept telling you we had a bond glut, but with fewer long-term bond auctions and the possibility that the Fed will stop selling its home portfolio, that glut will be gone and will be at equilibrium. And if you're short bonds, oh my God. 
Now, you can frame this as a good short being spoiled, but as I see it, bulls make money, bears make money, and the pigs, well, the pigs, they would have been slaughtered. The bond bears, they had become pigs. But it wasn't just Treasuries and the Fed. You know, I think the only number that the government issues with any staying power is the monthly non-farm payroll report on Friday. And to me, this latest one showed that the massive number of legal immigrants that have been admitted during President Biden's tenure can finally be putting some downward pressure on wages. Now, I asked Labor Secretary Julie Su about this on Friday's Squawk on the Street if the numbers came out, but she did everything she could to avoid answering the question. I have to tell you, if I had her job, I wouldn't want to answer it either. Frankly, there's not much else to explain the softer numbers about. I mean, as there haven't been any big bankruptcies or mergers that lead to mass firings, if you're worried about inflation, you should be thrilled about more immigration because that's the best way to beat wage inflation. But obviously, no politician's ever going to make that argument. But what matters to the market is the Labor Department's record uh, report was soft. And I think it's going to get even softer. Right now, the companies I talk to have no problems keeping people or finding people. What a change from a year ago. For most of them, it's business as usual. I see this as a sign that Jay Powell is winning his fight against wage inflation without it ever being talked about. With all this immigration, it's only going to get better for the Fed. It's incredible how dangerous it is to talk about this issue of immigration. But it's of huge significance to your stock portfolio, to the stock market in general. See, before this wave of, of migration, of immigration, Wall Street thought we'd be struggling with a shrinking labor force for a long, long time. Not anymore. We let people in. All that aside, something else changed last week. For a while, there was a suggestion that if you had significant exposure to China, you were finished. Apple and Starbucks gave you a one-two punch that showed China simply isn't falling apart. I thought Apple's sales were rather strong in China. The big city share takes meaningful. Their customers seem very satisfied, which is huge since, do you remember just a few months ago? No, most people did forget. We were told the Chinese government was cracking down on iPhone buyers. That's, that dropped the stock gigantically. I was worried about the possibility that the bear stories about China putting the hate on Apple were actually true. Fortunately, they were tall tales that meant nothing like so much else we hear about Apple. Meanwhile, Starbucks is headed in the right direction in China to the point where it's almost embarrassing that so many people thought that they were in trouble, too. I find it astonishing how wrong the bears were on Starbucks. Yes, the Travel Trust owns both, and we are telling CNBC Investing Club members we still think that Starbucks and Apple are good stocks to own. The timing for the report from two senior growth stocks is very important. Other than Disney this week, there's really not that much left of this earnings season. If that's some retailers, sure, but if there aren't any earnings... There can't be any big disappointments on earnings. The finish of earnings season is coming by two things. Earnest buybacks that had to be on hold until after the quarter and an appreciation of what worked and what didn't work. Shocker, tech worked. Now we have a bit of a lull here today to contend with. Will it produce fear of missing out or will it produce more short sellers and some regular sellers? Hey, look, it's a tough question, but I think it has to be answered by the calendar. Traditionally, this is a very strong quarter for tech, and I don't think it's in the numbers. This is one of those times where you have to be ready for an Intel to pre-announce upward or an NVIDIA to crush it and then raise its earnings forecast in strong form. I did expect the fintech rally to continue, and that's faltering. Plus, the COVID-era IPOs like DoorDash and Airbnb are sagging. I didn't see that coming either. But as long as stocks like Apple don't give up the ghost, you don't need DoorDash or Airbnb to work out. You just need Apple to stay up, and that certainly was the case today. So the bottom line here, will these moves last? I think the fear of missing out will cause money managers to be less complacent about where they put their cash. I think bond short sellers may get very nervous about the fact there's no longer going to be a glut. Many of you want to buy NVIDIA, the poster boy for AI. I think you can wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger. We don't want to go against our discipline, even as this consolidation is a referendum on last week. As I see it, it looks very good indeed. 
much better than the Bears think. Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, Jerry, thanks for calling in. What's up? Well, you've discussed several stocks that have been beaten down due to increasing interest rates. Correct. One that I'm interested in mostly has been devastated because of the need for homeowners to finance their projects. Now that the rates seem to be at least peaking or even starting to come down, is it time to double down on Enphase Energy? Wow. Enphase is such a disaster. If interest rates peak, then you want to own, honestly, I'd rather own Key Bank. I'd rather own USB. Enphase is an attenuated way to play the rates coming down. And I just think this stock is for sale. Tax law selling me to here in the end of the year. Good thought, but I think too aggressive. Sunny in Illinois. Sunny. Hey, Jim, it's Sunny from Chicago, Illinois. A big booyah to you, my friend. Oh, thank you. I'm getting back. I got to get back to Chicago. I had a great time there last year this week. What's going on? Hey, just want to say I'm an investment club member. I love oh, what thank you do you. for us. Thank you. Yeah, and I've learned a lot from you, man. You, you've taught us not to panic when the bid is low, and you also taught us to pounce on stocks when they're, you know, when they're cheap, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know what, Jim, I feel a little bad, man. I sold a lot of my positions last week, but I should have held on to them because I missed the rally. Well, that's okay. That's okay. There's going to be many more rallies. What can I help you with? What stock? Good, good. So, uh, Jim, I wanted to get your thoughts on the retail industry. A stock I'm looking at has a 5% yield. They recently uh, announced an acquisition. They got great luxury brands. What do you think about Tapestry? I, okay, tapestry is dirt cheap, but I don't have a catalyst. Ralph Warren's about to report, and my catalyst is I think you're going to report a very good quarter. I don't have anything that says to me you got to buy tapestry right now other than it looks like value. How about Linda, my home state of New Jersey? Linda. Hi, Kramer. Hey, what's up, Linda? Okay, thank you for taking my call. Um, okay. I watch your show with my father, Rocco, almost yes. every night. Oh, yes. uh, tell Rocco and, I said uh, hi. Thank you. Oh, I will. Okay. And my question is, is Exxon buying Pioneer? And if so, when and for how much? Okay, they are buying it, and it's a, it's a complicated formula for arbitrage, but it's, let's put it this way. Uh, you're going to get Exxon stock, and we sold Pioneer for our charitable trust because we didn't want anything to do with the arbitrage. We bought it for the gain, and now the gain is made. So I'm not as big into the merger as I am into the price that we got for the travel trust. I think the fear of missing out will cause money managers to be less complacent about where they put their cash, and that's why I think you can wait for a pullback before you pull the trigger on any more moves yourself. But I think the right direction is that. Oh, man, money today. Carvada's in the midst of a turnaround. So after earnings, how's it playing out? I'm learning about where the used car market stands and how the former market darling is faring with the company's top brass. Then Wall Street's been concerned about the staying power of travel in that travel bull market. So what can we deduce from the earnings reports of the two biggies, Expedia and Booking Holdings, when it comes to the health sector? I'm going to give you my take. And there's an AI unicorn waiting in the wings in the form of a company that everyone's talking about. It's called Databricks. Databricks. So what can investors expect about the private company Databricks and when it might IPO? Let's check with the CEO. Then stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. We didn't talk about how Carvana got its groove back. From mid-September through about a week ago, this stock was cut in half. You can understand why the used car business is not the place to be when you're worried about skyrocketing interest rates. But now, over the past three sessions, the stock shot up 26%. Now, some of that's because we got a benign Fed meeting and the Treasury Department indicated they're going to rely on short-term financing rather than beating us with lots of long-term auctions that have been crushing the bond market. Some of it's because Carvana reported a stellar quarter on Thursday night. This was already a tremendous turnaround story. Eleven months ago, people worried Carvana might go bankrupt. The stock traded at just $3.55. It had already come back with a vengeance until it got hit again in September. Now we got to wonder, how worried should we be about the used car market and about last uh, week's long-term interest rate reset? So let's check in with Ernie Garcia of the 30s, the co-founder, president, chairman, and CEO of Carvana. Get a better read on the situation. Mr. Garcia, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having us. Okay, so Ernie, I got to tell you, the turnaround is amazing. And I like the fact that you pivoted totally toward profitability, which we want. I know a lot of people just want you to turn to growth. But isn't this this period where you're really cutting costs and trying to figure out how to make it so that you make the most per car before you go back to the leverage model? Well, I, I think you're exactly right, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, you were the first one last quarter that called this a comeback, and now you know we wake up every day trying to make sure that you're right, and I think we're on the right path. So I think uh, you know around 18 months ago, we really turned to focus on profitability. It was very clear affordability was getting tough for our customers, and that was going to hurt growth. Uh, and I think the team has done an unbelievable job doing just that. We've got ourselves to a spot where in the last two quarters, we made $150 million in EBITDA both quarters. Uh, we're going to stay here for a little bit. We're going to keep getting these gains, and then we look forward to growing again soon. You've got to talk about how you've managed to cut costs per car. I mean, I think it's rather amazing. I know you were set up to scale for a million cars, and you still are. You're going to do that. And thank you for recognizing that the turnaround is real. But what I am concerned about is that people don't seem to recognize the value of how much, how little it now costs you to rehab these cars. 
Yes, I think, you know, in the last year and a half, we've cut $1.2 billion of SG&A out of the business. We've cut about $250 million annualized uh, of COGS out of the business. So we're able to get great cars to our customers less expensively. We spend less money. We can give them a great discount. Our unit economics are now in a great spot. It's been a pretty remarkable turnaround, and we're in a really great spot, and we could not be more excited. And as you said, I think we're focused on the right things right now. And and just like uh, in the past, we really look forward to growing again. But but I do think right now we gotta we got to make the most of the situation and take advantage of what we've been able to do so far. Well, one of the reasons I, I had a great sense that you would turn, and I'm not a Syrian, but because I'm a customer, and I see you rolling out same day in, in a lot of different markets. I can't, same day is really the salvation of what I really want. Where, how quickly can you roll that out? So, you know, we're currently testing same-day delivery to our customers in a couple markets. We're also uh, allowing customers to sell a car to us, and, and they can drop it off same day. We've had a customer do that uh, in less than an hour, where they went on our website, they got a value for their car, and they had a check in hand in less than an hour. So, we're testing that in a couple markets. I think it will take us a little time to roll that out nationwide, but uh, obviously that's an incredible offering that we think will be great for our customers, and we look forward to rolling that out. I think people will underestimate the fact that uh, they may think, well, it turns too quick, whatever, but the warranty. You were like well ahead of the rest of the industry and how few few warranty problems you had. Yeah, so I think, you know, a a big part of our goal was we wanted to build a different kind of customer experience, right? We wanted customers to go to our website to get tens of thousands of cars to choose from, to give them a discount, to give them a simple experience, to deliver to their door, and to take care of all the little things that come along with buying a car that can make it a little bit less fun. And I think giving them a 100-day warranty is is part of that. So every car we sell comes with a 100-day warranty. And then we also give every customer the opportunity to buy another warranty for even longer if they'd like to. Um, So I think that's an important part of our offering, and it's all about just making things easier for our customers. Now, what is is your outlook for uh, for car prices. I mean, you, I know that when I studied what you've been saying, obviously a used car costs much less four years ago. Uh, it, it seems a little, uh, it still seems a little too high, isn't it, for the average American? I think there's no question it's too high, and I think we, we hope they come down, we expect them to come down, uh, and we look forward to them coming down because we think it'd be great for our customers. I think you know, a sort of unbelievable stat that puts this all uh, into a little bit of context is in 2019, the average car that we were selling to our customer was a three-year-old car that cost $19,500. And today, the average car that we're selling to our customers is a 5.7-year-old car, and it costs about $25,000. And that just really goes to show you, you know, when the pandemic hit and supply chains got hit, that was really tough on affordability, and it's made it a lot harder for a lot of customers to buy cars. So we would love for car prices to come down. We expect them to over time. I think the timing is always hard to predict. You know, it's interesting you say it because people keep saying, I don't know, there's some jobs are so why is the president rated so low? What, what's going to come? I think it's that statistic. I think that people buy used cars and they can't believe that's the real inflationary shock in our system. And you're doing your best to bring it down. We're, we're certainly doing everything we can. I think, um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Today, customers are paying about 50% more per month for the same car that they would have bought years ago. Um, and, and that's obviously tough on customers. So I think if car prices come down, that would be great. If rates were to come down, that would be great too. But obviously, that's, uh, that's certainly not something that's in our control. In the meantime, we're just going to drive down costs and we're going to keep delivering to customers the best experiences we can. I think uh, the rest will take care of itself. What did people get wrong when you were down at four bucks? What did they see? Did they, did they not see your drive? Had they never used the product? I mean, I really do feel like if you use the product, then you wouldn't think that the company would should have been at four bucks. You know, someone I, I respect uh, recently said that, you know, in their career, they found that if you get the big things right, that's the most important. And I think... Um, 
especially when things are complicated and times are tough. I think people focus a lot on all the little things they can see right in front of them. But the big things for us are we give our customers an incredible selection with tens of thousands of cars to choose from. We save them money. We save them time. Uh, we give them a great experience. We've built something that's very hard to replicate. We've got a nationwide supply chain that allows us to sell tens of thousands of cars very, very quickly to, to customers everywhere. And I think that at the end of the day, if you have that, and then if you have a team, which we've also been lucky enough to have that cares and is deeply ambitious and works hard and figures out what needs to be done at any given moment and is willing to roll up their sleeves and do that work, you can find your way through a lot of different things. And I think 22 is a tough time. There's no question about that. Um, but we had the right business model. We were delivering the right customer experiences and we had the right team. And as a result, we made it through and, and we plan to keep going from here. Oh, I bet you do keep going from here because you do have the right business model and you keep the customer right. And that's exactly what is the key to success, customer satisfaction, and you offer it. That's Ernie Garcia. He's uh, Carvana's co-founder, president, and CEO. Hey, great to have you back. Thank you. Great to be here. Appreciate right, it, Jim. Thanks for living up to everything you said you would. It's a big deal for us. Thank uh, you. Well, thank you. Mad Mike's back after the break. Coming up, tis the season for trains, planes, and automobiles. Today's itinerary includes travel stocks. We're taking off next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Lately, Wall Street's been worrying about the resilience of the travel bull market. So I was paying real close attention when the two major online travel agencies, Expedia and Booking Holdings, reported last Thursday after the close. Now, they both live what I thought were excellent numbers. I mean, Expedia's stock rallied nearly 19% on Friday. Booking finished the day up less than a percent. Now, whenever you see this kind of divergent reaction of two stocks in the same industry, you got to take a closer look because it can tell you a great deal about the business. So let's figure out why the market loved Expedia and couldn't care less about booking holdings, a.k.a. the old price line. Coming into earnings, these two stocks had pulled back hard along with the rest of the market from August to October. Everybody remembers thought the travel bull market was on its last legs. Even though both Expedia and Booking Holdings have had enormous buybacks this year, it wasn't enough to prop up their stocks in an ugly market. I talked about them both back on September 20th and told you to go with Expedia, but that was really because it was much cheaper. However, even though both stocks had declined going to earnings, Booking Holdings was doing much better than Expedia. As of close last Thursday, Booking was still up more than 40% for the year, while Expedia was up only 8%. Many expectations were much higher for Booking. Expedia had a much lower bar to clear. Let's dig deeper. Even though the bar was low, Expedia still reported on an excellent set of numbers. While gross bookings came up a touch light, up 7% year over year, their revenue was higher than expected, up 9%, and they delivered a 41-cent earnings beat 
off a $5 basis. That huge bottom line beat was thanks to, yes, in large part, Expedia's buyback. Management said they repurchased $1.8 billion worth of uh, shares during the first nine months of the year, and the board approved the new $5 billion repurchase plan. That's an insanely huge buyback. Expedia's only a $15 billion company, for heaven's sake. Don't use a lot of capital, I guess, right? While these guys don't offer formal guidance, CFO Julie Whalen said, and I quote, As for the fourth quarter, based on the uncertain geopolitical environment and its potential impact on travel, we expect gross bookings growth to be relatively in line with third quarter levels, with modest sequential acceleration in year-over-year revenue and EBITDA growth versus the third quarter. End quote. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, booking growth shouldn't decelerate, while the revenue and EBITDA growth numbers should get better. What's not to like? On top of that, Expedia gave us revamped uh, stuff on their, on their loyalty program, which I really like. They talked about, for instance, migrating their Verbo, that's a VRBO thing, home rental platform to their main infrastructure, and explained that their core business to consumer business is on fire. In fact, CEO Peter Kern talked about the power of the rewards program, which is really huge and very important for many travelers, with CBC's own Sarah Eisen this morning. Listen to this. Ours is now basically money. So instead of being points, it's, it's really we give you one key cash and you can use it and spend it on anything you want. And because we cover virtually everything in travel, you can spend it on literally anything. And the idea is that you can, you can participate in our program and other programs. If you buy airline tickets from us, you get your airline points too. And you can then use your points with us to go spend it on a hotel, a Verbo, whatever you want. And for the first time now, Verbo has it, which is a key differentiator from Airbnb. It's really the only loyalty program in vacation rentals. So, A, it's better than Airbnb, and B, you can spend it for anything. That sounds like a way to save money, doesn't it? I mean, I think that just, it's so commonsensical. You'd probably say, why haven't we had this for years? In short, it's all systems go expedient. The company had strong results, encouraging guidance for the current quarter, and they calmed investors who were nervous about the travel bull market beyond its last legs, which clearly isn't. We're also getting concrete evidence that their investments in the loyalty program are paying off. But more than anything else, that $5 billion buyback authorization was what got the stock roaring. Expedia's ready to retire a third of the share count. It's like they're gradually taking themselves private. They, that's how a stock can rally 90% in a day without a takeover. They clearly think they're the most undervalued company I've come across this quarter. So what went wrong for booking holdings? Same business, bought at the same time, yet their stock did nothing. But you know what? Booking holdings didn't do anything wrong. Their gross travel bookings and room nights book came in better than expected. Remember, expenditures were a little light. Booking also beat the revenue estimates, and every major earnings line came in better than expected. They made $72.32 per share uh, when Wall Street was only looking for $69.88. And these were all record numbers. Plus, Booking Holdings had better growth rates than Expedia almost across the board. Booking's up 24%. Room night book up 15%. Revenue up 21%. By comparison, Expedia's comparable numbers were up mid to high single digits. The only place they came close to Booking Holdings was earnings growth. Where these guys got tripped up, though, was their outlook for the next quarter. Like Expedia, Booking Holdings doesn't give formal guidance, but their conference call commentary was a lot more guarded. For example, CFO Dave Gouldens explained, and I quote, In October, we estimate year-over-year room night with growth was about 8% and down from 15% in Q3, due in part to a tougher year-on-year comparison, as well as the war in the Middle East, end quote. That's not good. At the same time, their EBITDA forecast came in a little light, Overall, though, it's the war between Israel and Hamas that seems to be causing a slowdown for them. 
By comparison, Expedia seemed much less worried about the Middle East, saying that it doesn't appear to be an ongoing problem for their business, more of a short-term issue. Why is that? Probably because Expedia is much smaller and much more levered to the United States at 68% of sales. Booking Holdings is the big global operator. They only get 13% of their sales from the U.S., which makes them more vulnerable to turmoil overseas. So if you want to know why Expedia roared while Booking Holdings did nothing, there's a lot going on here. First, the bar was lower for Expedia with its cheaper stock that was way up way less for the year. Second, Booking Holdings has way more international exposure. That's why its growth has been so much better, because many foreign countries took longer to bounce back from the pandemic. But now that the international exposure has turned into a liability and it's bound to decelerate as business normalizes, something we've already seen here in America. Third, Expedia's core business is accelerating. Fourth, Bookings had more cautious commentary in the current quarter. And fifth. While they both got big buybacks, Expedia authorized a massive new repurchase plan. Booking Holdings doesn't have anything close to that. Even after Friday's divergent moves, though, Expedia is still much cheaper. Selling for nine times next year's earnings, I don't really understand why that multiple is so low still. While Booking sells for 17 times earnings. Again, I think Booking had a great quarter. Uh, And some analysts agree with me, which is why the stock could rally 4% today. But the bottom line. I would stick with Expedia stock here. It's a lot cheaper. It's less exposed to geopolitical turmoil. And its gigantic buyback is absolutely unrivaled. Bye, bye, bye. Andrew in Michigan. Andrew. Booyah, Kramer. How's it going? Oh, it's going well, Andrew. How about you? Oh, good to hear. I've been, you know, I've been watching this since I was about 10 years old. Now I'm an 18-year-old college student. That's what uh, I want. We got younger well, people watching this show. What's going on? That's what you got. So I was wondering... I know you're a fan of Southwest and all, but uh, what do you think about Delta Airlines? Should I should I buy into it or what? I think Delta is actually the best right here. That's my one that I would recommend. Now, the stock, I think, could turn up here. I think the travel bull market is very on. I think you got a winner. It may just be a trade, but you got a winner. David in North Carolina. David. Happy Monday, Jim. You betcha. Right back at you. Last Thursday, Cedar Fair and Six Flags announced an intended merger of equals in the Regional Amusement Park Group. And their new headquarters will be Charlotte, North Carolina. As David Faber was off today, let's make this a belated Merger Monday David report. Do you think Selena Khan will try to block this merger? Oh, gosh, if she tries to block it, then we really know she's the greatest killjoy ever. This is what's needed in order to be able to have more money, be able to lower the ticket prices. They will be able to lower when they're done. I think the merger's terrific, and I salute both of them. All right, Expedia is relatively cheap. It's less exposed to political turmoil. I think that's amazing. And its gigantic buyback is pretty much unrivaled in the whole market. That's why I stick with EXPE. Much more made money at exclusively exclusively a company called Databricks. How is this private company disrupting the entire AI space and helping companies like World Series winner the Texas Rangers? I'm learning more about the business from the CEO. Then you don't want to be, yeah, look, you don't get to be in the Magnificent Seven in this market without being, well, how about Magnificent? So how do you capitalize on these powerful names going to the end of the year? I'm sharing a strategy I used to utilize every November that can help you make some money on these talked about names. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We're only 
is on the lookout for the next big thing, which means sometimes we've got to look at these privately held companies that could come public in the not-too-distant future. We don't know when. Take a company I keep hearing from everybody is interesting. It's called Databricks. It's an enterprise software company that helps its customers unify their data, analytics, and artificial intelligence operations under a single vendor. Now, this company is a real player. These boast more than half probably never heard about that, half of the Fortune 500. We're talking about ATT, Hershey, Royal Dutch Shell, Walgreens, parent company of this network, Comcast. Databricks is what powers their voice-activated remote controls. Now, while you can't own this one yet, and they don't necessarily need to raise any money anytime soon because they just did a huge fundraising in, in September, the value of them, get this, at $43 billion, this is often mentioned as one of the largest potential IPO candidates in any given year. So let's take a closer look with Ali Godsey. He is the co-founder and CEO of Databricks. To learn more, Mr. Godsey, welcome to Mayor Buddy. It is an honor to have you on the show. Uh, one thing, just want to get straight. $43 billion because you, in many ways, are a company that is linked with, by the way, with NVIDIA, able to make it so that we have ChatGPT to be more than a parlor game, but the real deal for companies. Yeah, I mean, really what it is is that Customers, have, you know, our customers have been collecting data for decades. So how do you get the value of that data? How do you build AI models out of that? And we've been saying for 10 years that, you know, you can do amazing things with this data. And people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I get what you're talking about and so on. And then ChatGPT got released November last year. And there's this awareness revolution and everybody now gets it. Now everybody right. wants it. And now, you know, now I have CEOs, you know, banging my door saying, you know, explain to me what this is. What should I do? What's going on? Well, so, this yeah. is exactly the story that Jensen Wong told us, yeah. and I know he's your lead investor, uh, that, that everybody just kind of woke up to something that he and you have been saying for a long time. So let's, let's go over it. I go to my Comcast, and, and I say, I'm, I'm tired. And I say, Monday Night Football. Yeah. I mean, just that, right? Yeah. It's a command uh, versus like the 4,000 different entries. And within, uh, I don't know, I, to me it seems seconds it comes up. Yeah. How is that possible? Well, okay, so there's like two phases to this whole thing. You're seeing the end product, right. okay, so that's built on Databricks. That end product, it takes your sound, it sends it there, and it gives it to a machine learning model that quickly will translate it to text, get you the answer back. So that doesn't seem that magic. But that model, building that model, that happened, you know, maybe a year ago or six months ago, and that is the hard part, and that requires a lot of data. So Comcast has been collecting a lot of data from lots of different people, voice styles, accents, and they've been baking this model for a very, very long time on our platform, testing it, and then eventually moving it into production where it just seamlessly works. So it's baking that model that's the costly, hard part to do. Do they take, do they rent you or do they pay an annual fee? How does it work if I want to be a contract with Databricks? Yeah, so we're a cloud company, and we work on top of all the existing clouds. We're multi-cloud, so it's very simple. It's SaaS business, but you pay by the hour, so it's really pay-as-you-go cloud business. So if you use me for one minute, you pay me almost so nothing. So that way it's a little bit snowflake-like? Yeah, it's credit-based, and, you know, it accumulates. Now, if you use a 1,000 machines at the same time, well, that, you know, then you pay more. Sure. If you use one tiny machine for one minute, you pay less. So that actually helps with I think it's a bargain, frankly. That's the way I'd like it to be. I mean, we all do that in real life. Now, Texas Rangers. Okay, yeah. now let me ask you. I don't know because we know they won. They did lose 102 games two years ago, 94 games last year. Did you help them win the World Series? Well, I mean, look, we'd, we'd like to think that we had a little, little tiny little Well, tell us about it because it just happened. Yeah, yeah. So, look, uh, it's, it's kind of like Moneyball 2.0 in some sense. Okay, right? So thinking. basically what they're doing is they're connecting sensors to the players, and, you know, they can even get it down to, they can sort of have an image of their skeleton, and they can really look at when they're, you know, hitting that ball. In real time, the sensor data is sent into Databricks, 
and then the AI model will analyze it, and then it will give you recommendations that, you know, maybe change your pitch a little bit this way. Actually, if you, you're doing a little bit this too much, and it's going to hurt your actual, you know, elbow. So you can reduce injuries, can improve the pitch. You can even take weather patterns into account. So, you know, so it's like, yeah, as I said, Moneyball 2.0, you're using analytics, but just at the next level, much more data. It makes sense. You're giving a guy a contract for $100 million, say, over a five-year time. That's a, that, you know, I'm, look, I don't want to minimize because they're humans, but that is what you pay yeah. for a franchise. Yeah. You've got to protect the franchise. Exactly. I would do it with databricks. But yeah. then I, I'm puzzled. Like, why would her? she needs it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's how do you actually drive engagement? You know, it's, this is actually true for almost any customer that we have right, in right. any sector, right? Okay. It's, it's like, you know, how, how do you actually find out what people want and how do you get more people to buy your products, right? It's about their preferences. It's about recommendations. Sure. You know, if you go to a web page. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's, that's a very common use case that actually all of our customers use. Okay, the, one of the companies that we're saying is actually making money on AI right now is Adobe. They've mm-hmm. figured out, yeah, my daughter uses Firefly, and it's, yeah. it's this really cool thing. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I, yeah. it's magic to me. It's yeah. almost like a mentalist is in the machine. Yeah. Somewhere in between when she uses it and, and Adobe gets the check yeah. is Databricks, yes. correct? Yeah. So what Adobe is doing is they built their whole Adobe Experience Cloud right. on the Databricks platform. So that's on you. Yeah. So that was built on Databricks. What, I, what that does is... Again, it's the same thing as I was saying earlier with customer uh, you know, retention. You're getting all these people come to these websites. What are they doing? How do we engage them more? What, what do I show you to keep you excited so that you stay on this website longer, right? So marketing, automation, analytics, that's what they're built it on. Okay, so, so you're valued at $43 billion. Uh, to me, frankly, I, I look at companies like yours and I say, if you're the winner in the category, and I know you've got to go up against Frank Slootman, who's a very tough guy at Snowflake, but maybe there's room for both, then there isn't, you know, the world's your oyster. But at the same time, if you really want to do what's kind of great for you right now, it, it, the glare of a public company is not so great. <laughs> look, if you look at uh, Google Trends and you see our brand recognition, we actually have as much brand recognition in our space than the public companies. Everybody so, does know you. Yeah. It's really easy to say that because when I was out at Salesforce, Mark Benioff told me to watch you guys. I don't know what you're, whether you even have a relationship <laughs> with Mark, but, but he yeah. said, look, Databricks is the way people are going. And so I said, well, I want to own a share of Databricks for my charitable trust. And he said, well, that's not necessarily going to happen. There's a way we can arrange that. We can fix that in private markets. Let's talk. But I mean, look, there's always the possibility that you do want to come public. You you would be the um, most exciting company other than Arm, I think, that would come public during this period if you did. Uh, I'm sure the bankers want you to, but you're just being sure you got everything right before you do it? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, first of all, we're ready to go. Like, I have a little secret IPO button under my desk that I can just press, and we're, like, good to go. Like, public, company, audited, financials, the board is public, and so on. So we've done everything, and we run it like a public company, right? Right. We just happen to not be public. Why? I mean, look at the markets. Right. right. So right. one day we will be public. Don't give yeah. it away, all right? Yeah. No, don't give it away. We've seen yeah. too many people give it away. If you don't need the money, take your time, do yeah. it right, which is what you sound like you're doing. Yeah. You're very exciting and your company's very exciting. That's Ali Godsees, the co-founder and CEO of Databricks. That money's back after the break. Thank Thanks you so much. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, top of the lightning round. Let's start with 
Andrew in Florida. Andrew. How are you, sir? I am good, Andrew. Thank How about you. you? I'm blessed, man. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I've been, I've been watching you and listening for a long time, man. Thank you Thank for looking you. out for the little guy. That's my goal. Thank you. What's up? So far, stop. So Let's buy some. Let's buy some. The stock was down 6.5%. Made no sense whatsoever. They are turning the corner. They are doing everything right. I think it goes higher. Let's go to Allen in Florida. Allen. Jimmy Chill. Yo. Big thanks for the investment club. It yes. makes all the difference for us home gamers. Appreciate That's what that. I want. Thank you. Join the club. A lot of people at the Mescal signing this weekend. We're at the club. Plus for all my wife, you know. What's up? Let me get right to you, Jimmy, because this yeah. is important. I've been reading about the worldwide nuclear energy renaissance. New plants are opening. Previously shut down plants are reopening. Existing plants are getting life extensions. You got this new SMR technology with Bill right. Gates and it's Sam Altman back in it. Uranium demand is greater than supply, and the U.S. utilities need domestic uranium. uranium yes, they do. It's been $600 million acquiring uranium companies when uranium was $40 okay. a pound. Okay. So what do we want to do? Okay, goodbye. Are they a good buy? Uranium's now seventy-five dollars a pound. Okay, look, I've got to tell you, just, you know, look, I'm going to tell you, it's a good spec. I've said that before. For it's, if this price is still a good spec, it's a good spec because I agree with you about everything you said. John and Georgia, John. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Booyah! I'm doing booyah. What's up? Great, great. I want to know about the stock Copart. I want to know is it a buy? What do you think about it? Okay. Um, this is a very good company. I happen to like the auction. I like Richard Brothers, too. This kind of auction business of parts. You've got a winner there. It's flying on the radar screen, though. I need to go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, I just returned from six nights at a fabulous motel, three blocks from white sand beaches and crystal clear water. If you've never been to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I cannot recommend it more highly. All right. I have to put that bucket list there. Put that on the bucket list. Go ahead. What, what's up? Yes, sir. My question is, on their successful expansion into honeymoon accommodation, is Motel 6 owner Blackstone a song at this price? I don't know anything about Motel 6. I know that the people who run Blackstone do a very, very good job, and I'd like to invest with them. That's how I feel. All right, stocks come down enough that I'm not as concerned as I was at one point. Let's go to Ike in Georgia. Ike! Booyah! Yo, man, what's up? Go Eagles! Go Birds! I'm the long-time listener. First time okay. caller and an investment club member. Oh, thank you, thank man. You I love this. Love day this. In, day out for us little guys. That's the goal. Your guidance has made me a lot of money over the years. We got to tell, tell someone, we got to get that word out, okay? I'm looking over at Regina Gill. It'll be good to get the word out. That's how people feel. That's what I care about. What's going on? Yes, with an EPSD, but the quarter ended September 2023. A surprise 0.64 revenue increase, government revenue growth, commercial revenue growth, the okay. stock return of 13.7% over the past month, All right. the S&P 500, and yeah. the CEO declaration of market disruption with the artificial what intelligence platform, AIP. Palantir, PLTR. Oh, Palantir, man, that was a dynamite quarter. We got an upgrade today. I feel strong. I've been a guy. I dislike these guys for a long time. Not anymore. I am on I am on the Palantir team. Okay? I am Mr. Palantir as far as I'm concerned. Palantir, Rudy McFaddy. Let's go to Austin in West Virginia. What Austin? Jim, thanks for having me on. No, not a problem. What's up, Chief? Wanna give a big booyah for Morgantown, West Virginia? Always love this there. 
Go Mountaineers. <laughs> I like Let's that four, I got a class four Rapids thing there I liked. I went on that thing. I almost killed myself with dynamite. What's up? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, my dad and I, we've been watching your show since 05, so Dad, see, all the time. since 2005. Younger people. Okay, what do you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Diversifying the portfolio and oil a little bit. Um, I know Chevron, Exxon, um, but I'm looking at BP. No, um, no, go back to the on. other two. BP is the worst of the lot. I'm sorry to be so negative in that, ladies and gentlemen. Conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, they're not called magnificent for nothing. Kramer's playbook on the best of breed for the rest of the year. Next. We don't call them the Magnificent Seven for nothing. You have to earn that status. Earn it by consistently growing your market capitalization. That's what happened this earnings season, and it could be the ticket through the end of the year. Yep, I want to reveal a trading strategy that I used to embrace every November right about now at my old hedge fund. I'd identify the anointed stocks the big institutions were salivating for, the ones they knew they had to own by the end of the year, or else their investors would think they were idiots. Then I'd buy deep in the money call options from the January month that mimicked these stocks. I'd buy more if they came down, and if they rallied, I'd peel off some every 10 points or so. Full disclosure, this is a high-risk uh, approach, and I do not encourage trading not one bit, and I never talk about co-ops on the show, but when it works, this strategy really did work, and I think it will work for some of the Magnificent Seven, so let's go over them. Take Microsoft. It is a firm AI strategy that I think can actually start making some big money, especially with Copilot just released to the Microsoft community, which is pretty much everybody. There were no negatives that came up on the conference call, which is very important, because if there were something wrong, CFO Amy Hood would have flagged it. She's one of the best in the business. Who else does this trade to apply to? I read a piece of research today that said, don't you dare sell Amazon because it's an Amazon holiday season. That seemed like an excellent call. Remember, they're perfecting same-day delivery, which is a remarkable bargain. Hey, then again, come on. Prime's already the best bargain out there. Amazon is what we call an upstock by the calls. How about Meta Platform? Sure, Mark Zuckerberg's laid up with an ACL tear which means a little bed rest. But he'll be back figuring out how to make the project with no portfolio work perhaps this quarter. Meta had an amazing quarter, yet its stock was hit because of one line about how consumer product groups had uh, pulled back on advertising right after the war broke out in, in, in the Middle East. Now, those advertisers are already coming back, according to Pinterest, a very good analog. Deep in the money calls can definitely be bought on Meta, investing club name. Then there's Alphabet, also investing club name. I was initially appalled at how awful Alphabet's quarter really was, but in retrospect, I should have been more positive because they were just telling the story wrong. Management should have been focusing on YouTube, the NFL, with some hard facts. Instead, it was devoid of them, and without any explanation of why the cloud business slowed, something's wrong there. With Alphabet, I would not buy the calls. It just doesn't fit the profile of an anointed winner. NVIDIA, well, it hasn't reported yet. So as much as I like it as an investment, I think it's too fraught for a trade, especially because the focus will likely be on the Chinese business they'll lose thanks to the U.S. restrictions on high-tech semiconductor sales. I say just own NVIDIA, don't buy it for trades. Tesla, showman's back. He'll get the stock higher and do the right thing for shareholders. Stock is shaking off that last uh, good quarter, uh, the last quarter, but it wasn't good enough, I know. But it's a higher, this is a higher-risk stock than Microsoft or Amazon or Meta. And that leaves the best for last. Apple. Oh, this was supposed to be a terrible quarter, wasn't it? In the end, it was fine, albeit a no-growth quarter. But growth is in the eye of the beholder. And right now, that beholder is very excited by Apple's service revenue stream, up 16%. I say you need to value Apple with a blended weighted model, where you have some part of the price to earn multiple based on hardware 
And another part, based on the fast, faster-growing business, that's a high-margin software and services business. You need to overweight the latter because it's about to be bigger than the iPad wearables and computers combined. Once people get their heads around that, what matters here, you have a stock that should trade higher, not lower. I think that Apple's long-awaited multiple expansion is here, which is why you got my blessing to play it with deep in the money calls going out January, and I think you should be big in it. There you have it. My hedge fund playbook for what I do with Magnificent 7 going into the end of the year. Buy on dips, but please, you can start tomorrow. But the best way to do it is on the way down. And then Zoom, I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.